Are we ready to get into the Word of God? Amen. Let's get into the Word of God. We are continuing our sermon series, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we are all the way up to verse 27 of the first of three chapters that we're going to be hitting. So we're making progress. Uh, Verse 27 we're going to begin with, and our passage is uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27 to verse 30. Jesus is continuing his sermon. You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Well, that's pretty clear, right? <laughs> Any questions? Because <laughs> I'm going to leave, right? <clears throat> All right, so seriously, seriously, what Jesus is saying here is actually quite clear, isn't it? If you're married, Jesus is saying, don't even think about being in a romantic relationship with anyone else. But if you do find yourself tempted in this way, Jesus says, cut off the source of temptation quickly Before you are cut off from your relationship with God and others. That's the way I summed it up. I can also, though, find some underlying principles in this passage that would instruct those of us who are not married. Every one of us, married or not, is called to remain faithful in our relationships, honoring them and God in all of our thoughts and all of our actions. Do you agree? I think that's what Jesus is teaching right here. And it applies to married people and it applies to single people. It applies to all of us. The passage actually doesn't need uh, greater clarification, I don't think. But I do think that the passage needs greater application. Would you agree with that? Well... It reminds me of something that I heard about contradictions in the Bi- and the Bible. It said, the problem with the Bible isn't that it contradicts itself. The problem is that it contradicts my life. And for this reason, and for the fact that we all need God's help in applying His Word, we get to pray. So would you join me? Father... Um, We know that simple doesn't mean easy. Um, We know a lot about getting in shape, losing weight, eating healthy, whatever, and it sounds simple, and yet it's not easy. Um, God, we know that we're to forgive, and we're not to harbor a grudge or not to get angry. It sounds simple. It's not easy. God, we know that you call us to to pursue sexual purity and to live that way. It sounds simple. It's not easy. 
So God, we're praying for your help. We're praying for any clarification that is needed, but we're also, God, praying for that transformation that desperately is needed in all of us. God, have mercy upon us. Um, teach us from your word. In our time together in fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, you are a smart group of people, so you've already noticed, I am sure, that this passage begins just like the passage we looked at last week. Uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 26. And today, it's 27 to 30, and both of these passages begin with the same words, namely, you have heard that it was said. Now, some of you have already noticed that Jesus goes on to repeat this phrase four more times in what theologians refer to as the six antithesis statements in the Sermon on the Mount. I expect that you will remember that. That will be on the test. Six antithesis statements that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. We're on number two today. When Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said, he is reminding them of what they were taught in the Torah. That is the Jewish Bible. He is reminding them of what um, they have heard and grown up he uh, hearing and learning. More specifically, he's referring them back to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments. The Sixth Commandment, as some of you know, is you shall not murder. We covered that one last week. The Seventh Commandment is you shall not commit adultery. And this is what Jesus is hitting on now. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's taking the Old Testament law and he's showing his contemporary Jewish audience how, as he had taught them earlier in this chapter, how he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You remember we talked about that? And that is to help them to understand and live true to the original intent of the law. He later summed up the law this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, the words of Jesus. God's law was designed to lead his people toward greater love for him and for those around. But instead, they turned it into a legalistic system of more and more rules that they had to follow. Consider Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. I think we see this mentality in this man. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud 
uh, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Now go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, and then come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great, great possession. So this man like many devoted Jewish believers in Jesus' day, knew the Old Testament laws. And he was doing his very best to obey them. All of them. All 613 of them. And yet, while keeping the letter of the law, he missed the intent of the law. And that is to love God and love others especially those that are in need around him. Okay, so let's come back to our passage today. Uh, Jesus said, in verse 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, of course, of course, of course, of course, there is a difference between someone who's thinking about sleeping with someone and somebody who actually sleeps with someone. There's a difference, yes? But the point Jesus is making is that the road leading to adultery begins with an eternal desire in the heart, not in the bed. That's what Jesus is saying. And this lustful desire that leads to adultery often begins long before a person's even married. I remember when I was a college student hearing an old man, he was probably in his 40s, (laughs) an old man, no comment over here, make the point. That if we wanted to learn how to be faithful to our future spouse, we needed to begin now by practicing sexual purity. Now, I grew up in a home with easy access to pornography, which meant that I knew next to nothing about sexual purity when I entered college. But as a young Christian... I knew that I had to learn how to gain better control over my impure thoughts and all of my bad habits before I got married. That was clear, and I needed help. And I remember coming across or being taught in a sermon, Galatians 5.22, that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. What? God can give me self-control? So that became my daily prayer. God, I need it. I need it in spades. Whoa, I need it. Another promise that I believed early, early, early in my walk with Christ was this one from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I remember Beverly and I were dating and we memorized this one together. It said, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man or to people. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond, what you, beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able 
to endure it. I have to read it because I've been memorized in another version. So um, <clears throat> there you go. Great verse. I have found this promise to be true. I am definitely not standing up here saying that the way of escape is easy, taking it. I'm also not standing up here saying that I've always taken the way of escape that God provides. Definitely not claiming that. But what I do know is that uh, God does always provide a way of escape. Can anybody else say yes and amen to that? Because I know I'm not the only one. (laughs) God always, always graciously provides both the opportunity to avoid it and the strength to resist it. It's clear from this passage that God wants us to be faithful to our spouse and to Him with both our internal desires, yes, and our external expressions. But let's be real. Is this really possible in today's age? In our post-Christian, sexually explicit culture? Is this possible? All right. So, my answer is yes. It is definitely possible. It's not easy, but yes, it is definitely possible. With this caveat, it's possible. I know it's possible for everyone here if we trust in God's faithfulness rather than our own ability to somehow muster up our own strength and ability to control this. Because God, and God alone, has the power to give us the strength to resist the temptation, the wisdom to take that escape route that He provides, and the grace and the forgiveness that we need when we do mess up, and when we do confess our sin. And when we do, ask for help. This is what God provides. And I think with everything that God provides, it is definitely possible. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. With God. I want to also point out, because this is really important to to me, that in 1 Corinthians 13, the passage that we looked at that says, it, it begins with this phrase that's easy maybe to forget. No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to people. In other words, you're, you are not the first person to struggle with whatever you're struggling with. And in fact, if we took a poll, probably there'd be a handful of people that struggle in this room with exactly what you're, you're not alone. In other words, we all struggle with something. The good news is that We can be honest and real with one another. We don't have to hide or pretend that somehow we're something that we're not because none of us are perfect. What you're struggling with, I understand. What you're struggling with, what I'm struggling with, I maybe wouldn't feel comfortable sharing it or talking about it at a table with people I barely know. That's completely understandable. But it's an opportunity for us to find somebody that we do trust, 
maybe a friend or a, a spiritual mentor, and to talk about the struggle that is real, and to hopefully know that the person's not going to judge you, but they're going to come alongside you and support you and love you and provide whatever is needed to help you to be an overcomer. Yes? Okay. Uh, Jesus, uh, James, the brother of Jesus said, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sometimes we feel like we've got to struggle with sin privately or on our own. The Bible says let's do it in community. Let's confess our sin and let's pray for one another in a way that is safe so that you and I can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Remember, God's promise is that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is good news. Now, Jesus went on to say in our passage, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Uh, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, uh, throw it away. Cut it off and throw it away. It's, it's actually terrifying to me that there really have been people throughout history, and I've been told still to this day, who th- thinks that Jesus meant this literally. That, that don't understand that Jesus was using hyperbole when speaking in this passage. And as a result of this great misunderstanding, and you can read about it, women and men have gone to the graves missing an eye or missing a hand or in some cases both. I just like, come on. Please understand, Jesus is speaking hi- hi- with hyperbole. <laughs> I'm a math major. I better not use fancy words. <laughs> Jesus had already established that our sinful desires come from within us, not from an eyeball or things with fingers, right? That's not where sin comes from. Cutting those things off is not going to solve the problem because it's not an eyeball or hand problem, it's a heart problem. Jesus used here this exaggerated language to get our attention and to make an important point, and that is pay careful attention to the sources that feed any sinful desire of yours and take whatever drastic steps necessary to avoid or to remove them. You know, when I was a a college student, this message brought me back to my college days because I was, yeah, I did a lot of wrong things. But when I was a college student, as a new believer, um, okay, so I knew that I couldn't have sex now outside of marriage, that I got it. Okay, you've taken that from me. Thank you very much. But, you know, like, how close can I get? You know, so I understand I can't go all the way, but can I go half the way, three quarters of the way, nine tenths of the way? How far? I wanted to know what that line was, and I was driven to find it. I was reading books about it, and everybody had the line different places, and um, I liked the ones who had the lines as closest. Yeah, whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for laughing, <laughs> 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 laughing at me because I was a 
I needed growth and development. So this was really important to me. Um, how close to this line can I go without like, offending God? But then um, somebody ruined my life by sharing this modern-day parable, and I'm going to share it with you, so I might about, I'm maybe about to ruin your life. A rich man, a rich man needed to hire a new, a new chauffeur. So rather than require a written application, he had all the applicants take him on a test drive one at a time. To put their driving skills to the test, he had each one of them uh, drive him to a nearby cliff to see how close to the edge they could get. And he would uh, let each applicant know how close the previous driver got to the cliff's edge. So each new driver brought the limousine with the rich man in the back closer and closer to the edge of the cliff. And this went on all day until the last applicant took the driver's seat. He was given the same instruction, drive the limousine to the nearby cliff to see how close you can get to the edge. Upon hearing these instructions, the driver pulled over to the side of the road and came to a stop. The rich man said, what's wrong with you? I said, drive this vehicle as close as you can to the cliff's edge. Now get going. The driver looked at the man in the rearview mirror and said, sir, as your chauffeur, I will never take this car anywhere near a cliff, nor will I or in any way risk putting your life in danger. And the rich man knew that he had found his new driver. You can sit with that one now <laughs> in torment like I did. <laughs> Oh, God, you're ruining my life. <laughs> no, he's enriching my life. He's giving me life. The Apostle Paul wrote, as I begin to wrap up, um, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, so flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who called on the Lord from a pure heart. So the idea behind this word flee, you might think somebody's running away, and that's, that's right, but the person is fleeing from a place of danger to a place of safety and security. So from where the person is running is important, but it's to where the person is running is just as important. Flee from youthful passions and run to the Lord and receive a pure heart. This is what I had to learn to do as a college student, new in my Christian faith. And eventually I understood that rather than seeing how close to the sin line I could get, I should have been seeing how far away from it I could stay as I pursued Christ with a pure heart. James... Um, also wrote this. He said, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Res submit yourselves. It requires humility. Submit yourselves to God. And then also resist the devil, um, knowing that as you do, he will flee from you. He will leave you. So whether it's by things and people around us, or our own internal sinful desires, or perhaps even the devil himself. 
We are all tempted to sin by something. And as we looked at last week, it might be the temptation to hold a grudge or harbor anger towards someone. That's a sin that a lot of us struggle with. Perhaps you're struggling with maintaining sexual purity, whether you're married or not. Whatever the source that fuels your temptation to sin, whatever it is, the answer is always the same. So humble yourselves in the sight of God. Follow His guidance as you renounce in the authority and in the name of Jesus the lies of the enemy, the devil. Being assured that at the very mention of Jesus' name, he has to flee. I've seen that so many. All right, as I, as I um, mentioned earlier, uh, maybe I could have uh, some musicians come up here. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this passage from the Sermon on the Mount isn't particularly difficult to understand. It's not. It's just not always easy to live. And this is why it is important for us to encourage and to pray for one another. We, a lot of us, we just can't do this alone. We're not designed to do it alone. We're designed to pursue Christ together in community. We are a church committed to growing toward maturity in Christ together. Together.